What is up, everyone? Welcome to Content Creators. This is episode 20, I think, of the Creator Series. And today we have Farhat Ali. Farhat, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You know, can't complain. So Farhat, let's take it way, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. What brought you to ASU and what are you, what are you studying? What are you pursuing during your time here? I actually had a lot of different options before I chose ASU. But like most students, I really feel like what led me here was just financially. It was going to be the most obvious option for me. And more than that, it was just I also had a few friends that had already come to ASU and I hadn't really heard anything super terrible. <laughs> I mean, also just being first generation and wanting to always like stay near my family, just be a little bit closer to home. I think ASU was just like the perfect option. About my major, I actually started out majoring in secondary education for English. My family has like a long list of just uh, different topics that they've taught. We just have a very, like we're pretty much teachers in my family, honestly. Everyone has had at some point in their life an experience in being a teacher. And so I think for me, it was just what I wanted to do, what I thought I wanted to do. And then I took a couple classes, realized that maybe it just wasn't for me. And I ended up falling into poli-sci and then women and gender studies a little bit later on. All right. And I think that's a good segue into the Women's Coalition and kind of where I want to start with this is what made you want to join the organization in the first place and what has that journey really been like? I mean, we're both in leadership scholarship program. So the very first event that I ever went to with anyone from LSP was Passport to ASU. And I went to this event with another friend of mine from LSP, Aaron Lopez. And I was really excited, but also super nervous because I hadn't gone really to any events. And I remember going up to the table for WOCO and the first thing that I saw were their shirts. And I just really, really wanted one. And I knew you could get a lot of free things this event so I went up I remember asking about their shirts and then one thing you had to do was actually sign up like to get just email reminders and then they also had applications opening up soon so I just did it didn't really think anything of it I also filled out some other applications and then I think it was the night before the semester actually began I got an application from USG to be an intern and I got an application from WOCO to be an intern and I remember just reading through and I always wanted to be a part of USG and then I read through WOCO and I had never even heard of this organization I didn't know what a coalition was didn't even know what the purpose really was of this organization but I just remember like kind of on a whim filling out the application completely missing the deadline for USD. And I mean, here we are all these years later and I'm still in WOCO, so I guess I did something right. What made you want to be the president of WOCO or the co-president of WOCO? I was in WOCO really for, I want to say a year and a half before I realized that this was something that I wanted to do like really long-term. Being an intern for me was a little interesting because I know when I first came in, we were still kind of in a transition period between advisors, between presidents. So it was just strange to have to figure all of that out while also figuring out my place within the coalition. But after we really got into things, started planning, our Heritage Month started getting into a lot of our events and just meeting so many different people through OCO, I realized that it was something that I could actually do. And I always kind of have this weird fear or maybe it's just like self-doubt of like being in a position where I have like a lot of control, even though I really, really like it. <laughs> the actual like nerves of just thinking that I won't be able to make it in that position is really what held me back from pursuing any bigger positions within WOCO earlier on. But I guess wanting to be president just really stemmed from the fact that I had a great advisor last year. We had a new advisor come in and I just thought that 
she really helped me mature as a leader, just find my place within the coalition. And also, I just really loved what I was doing. And I realized at that point that this is something that I could see myself doing long into the future. And honestly, that's what really just pushed me into actually running for the position. Right. And let's talk about another project that you kind of started up as well and something that I've heard you speak about for almost two years now, I believe. The period Project. What is it and what are you doing with it? Yeah, so the Period Project is also just another thing that kind of stemmed a little bit from Ellen. I know we were doing a project in class and this was around the time that there were a lot of different events through ASU that were just kind of helping smaller orgs or just individuals start up their projects. And this was really from the idea, the night that I was actually filling out an application to be part of one of these projects through ASU, I was talking to my mom about how it was just younger growing up in Nairobi, Kenya, and how it just felt basically coming from a lower income family and having to pay off school fees while at the same time being in a family of six different kids and like they all just were in different points in their lives and how her parents were able to afford this and one of the things that my mom talked to me about was how it was when she started her period and she really was just telling me about how her family situation made it so that sometimes they had to decide whether or not they'd be able to afford school fees for one month or they'd be able to afford just menstrual items and there were a lot of girls in her family and they were all in need of these products but just having to make that decision meant that most of the time she would have to do things that were going to be a little bit dangerous for her health in a way and when I started really exploring what she meant by that I came to find that a lot of girls and it's still a very prevalent problem in Kenya tend to use older fabric they use just really whatever they can find so whether that's tissue just mattress pieces when they're on their period and this like health-wise, is not the smartest option at all. There are so many different things that can happen when you really use products that aren't meant to be in certain places. But for them, it's the only option. And that really is the problem when it comes to education, when it comes to food, when it comes to just how much money a family has. A lot of that stems from how much money they give to women or how much money women have themselves to be able to afford products that are necessary for their health. So when I went to Kenya in 2019 over summer, my project, the period project, really focused on working with girls that were from lower income areas and figuring out how they'd be able to afford school and how they'd be able to afford food, just paying bills while also being able to take care of their health. And what I ended up finding out was that a lot of these girls just had a bit of a disconnect when it came to how much they actually knew about their health and how much they had to actually be able to support themselves when it came to their own personal health. So what I was able to provide were just sustainable and reusable pads for them. We also had a few discussions on just health and what they were taught in schools. And honestly, I really want to continue working with this, but it sometimes hurts a bit to be able to see just the ways that women are treated not only here, but also worldwide and the lack of effort that's put into helping them educate themselves or educating them on things that are necessary for their health or just for their well-being. So let's talk about some of the challenges specifically at ASU. Do you feel that women generally, because I know everyone has a different experience, do you feel women generally think that they feel comfortable and that they feel like they can succeed at ASU? And this definitely can go in a lot of different directions. I feel that specifically for me, I've been able to find the support that I needed. And also I just have been able to pursue a lot of the different things that I wanted to pursue 
throughout just the different channels that I found at ASU, but I know that that's not the case for everyone. Specifically right now with the events that are currently going on and just the times that we're living through, I know minority students that are also women find it a little bit more difficult to be able to take, to just be able to find support. And honestly, sometimes for anybody to actually take them seriously in positions where they hold a lot of power, where they're able to make decisions. And a good majority of the time, what ends up happening is a woman won't be able to use her voice specifically in organizations that are mostly dominated by men. And it's not that she's not able to use her voice. It's usually because no one really takes takes her seriously or in what she's saying. And one thing that I found within WOCO was that I really thrived because it was a space that was dominated by women. And I think that what happens is usually, especially within women of color, we really uplift each other. And that's what I really loved about WOCO. And that's the message that I want to spread through WOCO. But I know it's not the same for every organization. It's not the same throughout ASU. And honestly, specifically right now with the things that are going on, when it comes to Black women, I think the only time that we really take a moment to actually uplift their voices is when we see that they're finally calling out and just want justice and just want recognition for the things that they're doing throughout our community. I think so much of the work that happens at ASU stems from the work of Black women and women of color. And I really feel that most of this is not taken into account when we're creating policy, when we're creating guidelines to follow at ASU. And sometimes it just means a lot to just even mention the work of Black women throughout our universities, and that doesn't happen, especially at ASU. And so I think that one way that ASU is really failing is just in recognizing the work and the endeavors of women of color and Black women throughout the university. But if it really is about success and what we're doing to support women at ASU, I think we're taking certain steps to get there. But I really think at the end of the day, it takes a lot more from our administration when it comes to issues on race, culture, tradition, just backgrounds, and just so many other avenues that intersect with what it means to be a woman that they're truly failing at right now.